I want you to picture the scene. Picture the scene. There is this rising young business executive in New York City waiting for the subway. This young man is dressed in an $800 suit. He has a $150 designer tie, $250 alligator shoes, a $300 attache case in his hand, and his pipe is hanging out of his mouth. This young man is a mover and a shaker. He has the world on a string, and he knows it. Another fellow is on the subway coming back to work. He was the last one to get on the subway, and he is standing facing out. He is prone to motion sickness. He has had a big lunch. Don't run my sermon. <laughs> the heat of the bodies and the closeness of the subway is getting to him. And you know the doors automatically open and close. As I said, he's facing out. Things are going by at 90 miles an hour. The longer he stands there, the sicker he gets. The subway stops at the station. The doors open, and out comes this fella's lunch. All over this young executive's $800 suit, his $150 tie, his alligator shoes, his $300 attache case, and even got it on his pipe and the subway door closes and moves on before he can think. <laughs> and he's standing there drenched in this fella's lunch. And he looks to the guy behind him and says, why me? Why me? Why me? Now that dumb story has a moral. I stole it from Chuck Swindoll. If he could use it, I knew I could use it. But it has a moral in it. Like that young executive, how many of us in our dilemmas cry out, why me? Why this? Why now? Charlie Brown once said, it always looks darkest before it gets totally black. <laughs> and life does not go as planned. Have you noticed that? And life is not fair. And I talked to people at the convention this week, in particular one guy, and, and I told him, life is not fair. God never said that it would be. I read something not long ago that is great. It said, if life was fair, Elvis would be alive and the impersonators would be dead. <laughs> Amen. Amen. And the truth is, no one gets through life without dilemmas. So the secret of dilemmas, then, is finding joy in them. You say, how in the world can you do that? We'll find out. Look at the screen. This is what a dilemma is. A dilemma means an unpleasant or confusing situation that is difficult to get out of or solve. And we have all been there, right? And we have words for it, don't we? 
in a pinch, in a jam, in a pickle, between a rock and a hard place, up a tree, up a wall, hard-pressed. I almost hate to ask this, but what is the greatest dilemma that you've ever faced? Hmm? It's painful just to think about it, isn't it? Did you find joy in that dilemma? Well, don't be ridiculous. How can you find joy in our dilemmas? Well, the answer is right here in the text. Let me set up Paul's dilemma and show you how he found joy in that dilemma and how we can find joy in our dilemma. The year is 61 A.D., and the Apostle Paul is imprisoned. He is waiting a trial before Nero. The charge against him is insurrection against the Roman Empire. That is a capital offense. Paul is faced now with the possibility that his life will be taken from him. He's having to deal with that. And this is not something theoretical that he comes up with. This is not something philosophical that he's dealing with. This is where the rubber meets the road. He has been under house arrest now for two long years. He is chained to a Roman guard 24-7. 24-7. And I said in all likelihood he will be tried before Nero. And Nero has no sympathy whatsoever for Christians. So this is a time of great soul searching for the Apostle Paul. See, when a person is confronted with their death, it is a time when they give careful consideration to the most important issues of life. And Paul knows that his life hangs in the balance. Will he be released or will he be sentenced to death? How in the world can you find joy in that kind of a dilemma? Is it even possible? I want to show you what the text says. I want to preach just a good old expository sermon this morning and pull out of that text three principles that I think will help us to find joy in our dilemmas. Let's begin with this one. We can find joy in our dilemmas when we understand all dilemmas have a purpose. Understand all dilemmas have a purpose. Look at the screen. Let's read it. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. Notice that. So that, I, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Now, look at this here. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment, and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. Paul knew his dilemmas had a purpose. Doesn't sound like a man who's having a pity party. He is under house arrest, chained to a Roman guard 24-7, and he says, what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. Paul realized that his current dilemma had a purpose. And what a marvelous perspective he had on it. Now, I don't know that I would consider that kind of a confinement a purpose. Confined? Chained to a soldier? 24-7? But instead of looking at that being chained to a soldier as a restriction, 
Paul sees that soldier as a captive audience. Can you imagine being chained to the Apostle Paul for four hours a day? How would you like to be chained to a preacher four hours a day? And Paul was not a chained smoker. He was a chained preacher. And here, this guard, he didn't have a chance. They did not have a chance. So Paul understood that his dilemma had a purpose. What an opportunity to share the gospel with one soldier after another. And that soldier then would go back to the barracks and talk about it to the imperial guard. And a lot of them probably say, wow, wow, that little bald-headed Jew really gets to you, doesn't he? (laughs) Paul did not feel victimized or frustrated. There is not a word about how awful his confinement is, how heavy his chains are, how cold he is, or how hungry he is, or how mistreated he is. He embraced his confinement with joy for the opportunity of converting the palace guard. Now, there are two ways that we can find a purpose in our dilemma. You may want to write them down. Realize the good often outweighs the bad. Realize that the good often outweighs the bad. Now, what if it isn't a bad God at all, but a very good God who even when bad things happen can bring good out of them? Do you think the Apostle Paul remembered Romans 8, 28? And I am convinced that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. He said all things. What have I taught you down through the years? What does all mean? All. That's all all means. All things work together for good. And then the second reason way we can find purpose in our dilemma is realize it's not about me. Realize it is not about me. Now, this is the reason our dilemmas can be so challenging because our attitude usually is, it is all about me. Paul says, it's not about me. It's about what God wants to do through me rather than what is happening to me. The next time you're in the dilemma, will you pause and think about that? It is not what is happening to me. It's what God wants to do through me. What purpose is it that God wants to do through me? So Paul allowed God to use his dilemma, and it impacted the Christian community. It impacted the church at Philippi. And here we are almost 2,000 years ago, still studying the great truths in the book of Philippians. You see, folks, it is our perspective that makes the difference. It's not just about me. It's about others as well. Now, some of you are in chains today. They're hard, they're cold, they're heavy, and they're binding. Maybe you're out of work, you've had a miscarriage, you cannot get pregnant, you've been diagnosed with cancer, you have a rebellious teenager, a parent with Alzheimer's, fighting depression, a marriage that's less than ideal, And we all know that a bad marriage is like hell on earth. 
you are living from paycheck to paycheck. You students, maybe you're having trouble with relationships. And at the first service, on the second row, was a lady who buried her 16-year-old daughter last year. Your chains are real. But so is your choice of perspective toward them. And I am not being harsh or unfeeling when I say that at all. Stuart Briscoe, in his great little book on Philippians Bound for Joy, says this, Some people worship their problems more regularly and with greater fervor than they worship their Lord. Woo. They bow down to them, have their behavior governed by them, and generally allow their lives to revolve around them. Now, God does not want us to worship our dilemma. He does not want us to let our dilemma identify us and become our identity. He does not want us to ignore them or to pretend they don't, we don't have them. What he wants us to do is put them in the right perspective because all dilemmas have a purpose. Now, God allowed them to come. Man, that's hard to deal with, isn't it? That is hard to deal with it. Why? Why me, Lord? Why now? Why this? God allowed it, and because God allowed it, that is difficult to put your arms around. And as hard as it is to realize that God allowed them to happen, maybe, just maybe, there is a purpose in that dilemma, and it is to work a love that is designed to lead you deeper into knowledge of Jesus and a greater usefulness for others. And then and only then can we deal with our dilemma with alert anticipation and spiritual insights. So we can find joy in our dilemmas when we understand all dilemmas have a purpose. But there is a second reason right in this text. We can find joy in our dilemmas when we determine to finish well. When we determine to finish well. Look at, this, look at the text. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice because I know this will lead to my salvation. And through your prayers. Now hang on to this, text, this, this sentence right here. Through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ... My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul determined that he was going to finish well. He said, my eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed of anything. Paul was determined to finish well. Now, folks, I want to finish well. That is my goal. I want to finish this life well. I don't want to blow it. I don't want to bring shame to the cause of Christ. I don't want to embarrass this church. I don't want to embarrass my family. I want to finish well. You say, well, Lee, you're, I'm, I'll be 75 this week. You say, you, you've not got much farther to go. <laughs> I have a post-it note on my computer. <laughs> by that crusty old Southern Baptist evangelist, Vance Havener. 
And I have it right on my computer where I can see it every day. And it says no one is safe until they're home. Can I get a witness? Amen. Amen. To find joy in our dilemmas, we have to determine to finish well. I knew a lady, a young mother, had two young children. She was diagnosed with incurable cancer. They could not do anything about it. And she told us, I want to walk through this illness and eventually death in a way that will strengthen the faith and the hope of others in Christ. Wow. Now, she was sad to leave her husband and her two little girls. But however, she wasn't as concerned about her cancer and her eventual death as she was finishing well. Can you imagine? She never wallowed in self-pity. She felt that she had been entrusted with this disease as a stewardship from God, and she hoped that she could use it to bring honor and glory to Jesus and to faith in Jesus. She found joy in that terrible dilemma because she made a decision to finish well. Did it make her suffering any easier? No, 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 no. Her suffering was Did she put on a phony Christian smile and a plastic halo? Not at all. Did she think at times it was unfair to leave her girls without a mom and to leave her young husband to raise them? Yes, she did. But that lady, like a lot of others, rose above her chains and she finished well, even though at times she experienced Times of great fear and sadness and doubts and frustration. But she was conscientiously aware of her desire to finish well. And like the Apostle Paul, she said, you've got to help me. You folks in my life have got to help me to finish well. And that's exactly what Paul said. Paul said this. He said, yes. And I will continue to rejoice because I know this will lead to my salvation. And here it is, through your prayers and the help from the Spirit of Christ Jesus, or Jesus Christ. Now, scholars tell me that verse 19 is very difficult to translate from the Greek into English. And here is what Paul is asking. Paul is asking them to pray the Holy Spirit into him in ever-increasing ways. He is saying, through your prayers, a special dose of the Holy Spirit will be available in my life in this terrible dilemma. Paul knew (laughs) for him to live the way that he wanted to, Determined to finish well, to honor Jesus in his imprisonment, it would not only take his personal vigilance, but it would take the sustained prayers of Christian brothers and sisters and the resources of the Holy Spirit. He knew what we need to learn. He could not do it on his own. And we're talking about Paul here, the greatest Christian since Jesus. He could not do it on his own. 
Now, I don't know what's going on in your life right now. I don't know if you're close to God. I don't know if you're far away from God. But I do know this. Without prayer, you will not finish well. Without prayer, you will not finish well. On our own, none of us have what it takes to finish well. There are certain spiritual realities that only prayer can make happen. Amen? Without prayer, you're not going to finish well. But Paul also knew that without the resources of the Holy Spirit, he would not finish well. Let me show you something from verse 19. The translator uses the word help. Help from the Spirit of Christ Jesus, or Jesus Christ. That word help there is a feeble translation. It should be resources. This is how, this is how it really should read. I know that through your prayers and the resources of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. The Holy Spirit that was indwelling him, the Holy Spirit that is indwelling us, is capable of helping us in that dilemma. The Holy Spirit that dwells in us is capable of handling any situation. And here is Paul adding his determination to the resources of the Holy Spirit and to the prayers of his friends, and he knows he can finish well. See, Paul is not trusting himself. Paul is trusting God's people to sustain him by praying the Holy Spirit into him. Now, 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 are you, are you laying the groundwork to finish well? Are you? Are you? Are you investing in relationships? Or do you just come in here and sit down and then leave and not investing in any relationships? Are you investing in relationships, particularly in the community of a small group? If you are not in a life group, you are missing out. Because it is in that life group that you build relationships with people. And when you need them to pray a dose of the Holy Spirit into you. And pray a strength and a courage and a peace of mind into you that you don't have. They'll be there for you. And anybody in a small group can say amen to that. And if you're not in a small group. You need the relationship of those people. Folks, we will not finish well without the power of prayer and the resources of the Holy Spirit. So in order to finish well, determine, determine. With God's help, the prayers of my Christian friend and the resources of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to finish well. I'm going to finish well. There's a third principle in this text that is so obvious. When you are in a dilemma, you want to find joy in the dilemma, make wise choices. (laughs) Make wise choices. (laughs) Folks, I've been doing this for a long time. I have seen people make some of the God-awfulest dumb decisions in a dilemma that you have ever seen. And then they wonder why it blew up in their face. 
and it destroyed them and it destroyed their families. Let me show you how to make a wise decision when you're faced with a dilemma. Look at this text. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. <laughs> Amen. Now, if I live on in the flesh, in this body, it means fruitful work for me, and I don't know which one I should choose. I am torn between the two. I long to depart to be with Christ, which is far better. <laughs> but to remain in the flesh, to remain in the body, in my body, is more necessary for your sakes, since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for all progress and joy in the faith, so that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. Now, he made a wise decision. He was struggling. I long to depart to be with Christ, which is far better. But to remain in my body, to remain here with you is more necessary. To depart, wow, far better. To remain, it's necessary for you. And here's Paul now. He's coming down to the end of his life. And this to depart and to remain has intensified in his latter years of ministry. Now, folks, I, I, when I read this and was studying this, I thought, man, I can identify with the Apostle Paul here. When I came to First Church 46 years ago now, can you imagine? And for you guests here, when I came, I was six foot six. <laughs> I had a full head of hair. And they have wore me down to this nub. But when I came here 46 years ago and saw the possibilities for evangelism in this community and how this community was growing with new people and the possibilities of building a great church, I prayed, Lord, let me remain. Let me remain. Let me remain. And during the 10 years that it took us to relocate from US 42 over to here and all that went into that for 10 long years, I said, Lord, let me remain. Let me remain to see this through. Let me remain. Let me remain. And when we moved to this campus and we grew like crazy and more and more people were being saved and we needed more buildings to house them. I still prayed, Lord, let me remain, let me remain, let me remain. But now that I'm rounding third and heading home, and most of the fulfillment of my ministry is in the past, and the more of heaven is in my heart, and I feel its pull stronger and stronger. And I know that most of my work is done. I face the dilemma to depart. It's very real. And some mornings when I get up, my body says, let's depart, let's depart, let's depart. But on the other hand, I am also faced with the same dilemma to remain, to remain. It's very real as well. Because I, 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 I realize that after 55 years of doing this, 
that surely I am more qualified and skilled and experienced to still be of some value to the Lord's church and to the kingdom of God. Still, I should, still to remain, to remain. This is where Paul was. He said, to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. Paul, Paul, the decision to remain wasn't the best for Paul. To depart and be with Jesus. It wasn't best for Paul to remain. But it was for them. Folks, Paul gave up heaven for these people. Woo! I love you. But he gave up heaven for these people because he knew it was the wisest decision and for the good of the kingdom. So when you are in your dilemmas, make wise decisions. (laughs) Now, just so you know, Paul was released from prison in 60, he was released from this imprisonment around the year 63 A.D. He was arrested again, this time again sent to Rome, and this time he was beheaded. It was either the years 65, 66, or 67. We really don't know. But you think about it, this means that he had two, maybe three, maybe four more years to spread the gospel Of Jesus Christ. And he did get to go back to Philippi. He made a wise decision to remain, to remain. Now, we're going to hear a lot about joy in this series. And I think the key verse is in Philippians 1.18. I rejoice, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Rejoice is choice. Say it with me. Rejoice is choice. Say it like you mean it. To rejoice is a choice. And Paul chooses. And we have the same option to rejoice in our dilemma. And what you need to do, what you need to have to do to have this inexpressible joy that you can't explain when you're in a dilemma how many times have I talked to people who are going through a terrible dilemma and say, Elia had the most peaceful, it was so peaceful while I was in this. I just experienced a peace that I didn't know I had. Where did that come from? What you do in a dilemma, put Jesus right in the middle of that dilemma. Confirm Make a choice. I will put Jesus right in the middle of this dilemma. And like Paul say, for me to live is Christ. In this dilemma, I'm going to live. And you put Jesus in the middle of that dilemma, and you will experience inexpressible joy. Will you be happy? Ha, 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 ha. No. But you will experience 
peace that passes all understanding. Because you put Jesus in the middle of that dilemma. Because you understood. If you want to put it, do it. Understand that all dilemmas have a purpose. Determined to finish well. And I'm going to need the help of my friends to finish well. I need your prayers. Pray into me a resource of the Holy Spirit. And then for God's sake, make good decisions in the dilemmas. Folks, God is bigger than our dilemmas. Amen? Yeah, go ahead. And God is always honored by faith. God is always honored, and he always honors faith. 